possibly some of the finest sermons in all of homiletics have been written about doubt as based on today's passage from John 20. In fact, it's not a coincidence that every Sunday after Easter, this text shows up in the lectionary. On Easter, we hear the resurrection story in some form or another. And on Lowe's Sunday, we hear about Jesus appearing to the held-up disciples, and more specifically, to doubting Thomas. Can we talk about this nickname for a minute, please? It's clearly unfair. Thomas doesn't deserve a label like this at all, and he surely doesn't deserve it for 2,000 years. Here's the best example I can give of this. There is a professional athlete named Glenn Big Baby Davis. Big Baby Davis. He played for the Boston Celtics for years, and while he was playing for the Celtics, he went through a time where he tried to get people to stop using the nickname Big Baby. It was kind of mm, demasculizing for him, demasculizing, whatever that word is. Didn't make him feel like a man. Because the story of how he got the name Big Baby happened to be that while he was playing peewee football, because he was such a big kid, he wasn't allowed to play with his friends and kids his own age. So they made him play with the big kids. And since he wasn't allowed to play, he stood on the sidelines and cried during one game. And ever since then, they called him a Big Baby. Of course, that was the story people told. What he said was that he had actually always had that nickname from birth because he was 14 pounds when he was born. Now that's a big baby. He couldn't shake that nickname, even though the publicity people with the Celtics tried to get people to excuse it. And doubting Thomas is in some ways exactly that same kind of character. But let us talk for one minute about how he has been wrongly accused through the millennia. The text, in fact, in Greek, never says the word doubt. What gets translated here as doubt actually is mistranslated. The word that's used is pistis, which is believe, and apistis, unbelief, non-belief, no belief. So when Jesus says what we interpret as stop doubting and believe, what he really says is, Don't be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas here gets a bad rap because he says, I'm not going to believe this until I see the hands and side of Jesus. Well, guess what, friends? 
The first thing Jesus does, the first time he appears to the disciples, when he comes in and the doors are locked and they're all shut up in their house, thinking they may never see any other people again. Is any of this sounding familiar? Jesus comes in and he says, peace be with you. And immediately he shows them his hands and his side. Thomas isn't asking for anything more to help his belief along than what the disciples have already received. And when Thomas says, I am going to believe if I can see his hands and side, that's not like... You know, they say that uh, there are no atheists in foxholes. And if you watch MASH and Father Mulcahy a whole lot, you'll get a lot of these things where the guy says, I was in a horrible firefight and I promised God that I'd give up women and booze and gambling if, if God would just get me out of this. And then they're having the conversation with the priest and they say, but God got me out of this, Father, and I don't. I I, I really like my mistress, and I'm. I, my bourbon tastes good, and and I I, I just won two thousand bucks gambling, and I don't want to give it up. That's not what's going on here. It's not a kind of quid pro quo. I'll have to have this, or I'll, or I just refuse to believe. No, Thomas is simply saying, this is what I need to have faith. And believe. And see, the beauty part of this text is it's not about Thomas, it's about Jesus. And Jesus always gives us what we need to believe. Thomas says, I'm going to need to see the hands on the side. And immediately Jesus says, Look at my hands and my side. I know this is what you need to believe here. Nowhere else in the Gospel of John, unlike the other Gospels, where we hear Peter profess that Jesus is Lord. Nowhere else in the Gospel of John does that happen except through the voice of Thomas. Who having been given from God what he needs to believe, falls at his knees and says, my Lord, my God. Jesus gets a bad rap too, or Thomas gets a bad rap too here because Jesus says to him, have you believed because you've seen me? And then there's this added line. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. People think that Jesus there is talking to Thomas. How dare you have to see in order to believe? No, what Jesus is talking about there is the people who are to come. Who won't have a resurrection appearance of Jesus to go by. People like us, 
who pray to God and say, I'll believe, I just need to know you're real. And blessed are you if you can do that without actually seeing Jesus right in front of you. You know, someday when all of this I can't use that word probably, can I? Stuff is over. <laughs> Somebody is going to have to explain to me why we can why we can shut down our entire world over a virus we can't see. But we have trouble giving a moment of our lives to God because we can't see. Jesus gives us exactly what we need to believe, and he has given it already in the first appearance to the disciples. This text is sometimes called John's Pentecost. Because here Jesus comes among the disciples. He says, peace be with you. Well, you have to have peace in order to receive the next part of the tale, which is Jesus gives the spirit to keep us going in his absence. Jesus gives what we need to believe. And here it is the spirit of God that will keep us going. Again and again and again, when we get too tired or too worn out or too shut up or too whatever, too apistis, too non-believing, to carry on. Spirit of God. moves us forward nonetheless. This is the gift of Thomas to the church. Not a doubter. Not an unbeliever. A confessor of Christ. A receiver of the Holy Spirit. One who takes in all he needs from the God of the universe to believe. Thanks be to God. Amen.